We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're reacting to Pro Days on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick. We are two of the owners here at Rotoviz. I am very excited to be back for our third week of three episodes, Curtis. We're talking about pro days in this episode. Later in the week, we're talking Triflex Dynasty. And we'll also talk about our favorite late round targets in best ball drafts. Uh, I saw you pumping your fist there at the fact that we're talking about pro days. Did you miss the combine? I mean, I did and I didn't. Um, I miss the pomp and circumstance of it all. Uh, I miss taking a day or two off work to watch it. And, uh, and and I mean, it just gets me pumped about everything that's going on. I definitely wasn't able to watch every pro day. Uh, so it's just very different. I, I think in the end, I'm going to like not having watched it because I feel like I'm not going to adjust uh, for these athletic measurables quite as much. I'm just going to trust what the, the measurements yep. were. And I'm not listening to all this analysis live on the air. You look how fast this guy was. Look how good, you know, like I, there's, <laughs> there's so much just subjective stuff that gets added by listening to all the talking heads. That's really hard. It's really hard to shed uh, when, when you watch three, four five straight days of that. So as, as exciting as it is, I'm not going to miss having consumed it. Um, what about you, man? Do you, do you enjoy the combine or is it like a non-event for you? Yeah, I, I do like really enjoy it. Uh, the one thing that I did miss was how easy it is to compile all of the results and then drop those into somewhere, right? So for me, it's just going back to how easy does it make my life. Uh, but in, in some way, it's cool to have it like trickle out over time and get to focus a little bit more on each player and put their pro day into context. So, you know, 
Um, if the combine never came back, I could live with it. Um, but it, it is it is a fun thing. But I think that you do make a good point about not letting too much of that analysis we hear stick in. We got to move along though, Curtis, because we have a major headline coming out just a couple of hours before we recorded, and that is Sam Darnold has been traded to the Jets. From the Jets to the Panthers in return for a sixth rounder in 2021 and a second and fourth rounder in 2022. It looks like the reaction to this for some has been that this really hurts DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. I am not of the opinion that this really shifts things radically for them. Um, If you look at Teddy Bridgewater's career, right, he's been a very accurate passer. If you look at his adjusted yards per attempt, they look better than Sam Darnold. But I think what we need to do is go back and look at Sam Darnold over the first two years in his career, keeping in mind that he's likely playing in a situation that is going to stymie any young quarterback. Um, So, you know, like if you go in and you pull up the Rotoviz AYA app, which we've actually talked a lot about on the show recently, it really is a great app that I don't think it's used as much as it should. Sam Darnold beyond 15 yards on the left side of the field 9.17 AYA. His worst spot has been the middle of the field, just 7.5 adjusted yards per attempt, just 6.34 actually beyond 15 on the right side of the field. Those are not awesome numbers, especially if you compare them to Teddy Bridgewater across his career, where he's in the 11s, the 12s, and only has really struggled deep and to the right. But if we isolate for Bridgewater's first two seasons, you can see that Darnold actually has stronger AYA beyond 15 into the left. Uh, Bridgewater has him a little bit in the middle of the field, um, but he doesn't have him by too much on the right. Uh, Where I'm headed with this is that if you want to just look at what we've seen Bridgewater do, last year in Carolina, compare that with Darnold and what we've seen him do in New York, I don't think that you're drawing a fair comparison of what Darnold could potentially be able to do. Uh, And I know that you have a couple of notes on this in relation to Darnold's passing touchdowns and also how much stronger he was when he was playing with Robbie Anderson. So why don't you tell me if you're viewing this as negatively for Carolina's pass catchers uh, as others, or if you agree with me that it's not a huge deal. Well, it's not really about what I think, uh, unless I tell you why I think it. And I, I, <laughs> I too looked uh, at a few of our apps. Um, I started with the Rotoviz Game Splits app, and I just took a look. Hey, what did Sam Darnold look like in 2019 with Robbie Anderson uh, versus 2020 um, with just the putrid wide receiver core that was the New York Jets experiment last season? Um, so yeah, there's 13 games in the Robbie Anderson sample and 12 in the out of Robbie Anderson split. And in games that Anderson and Darnold play together, Darnold threw for 50, almost just shy of 50 uh, more yards per game and about double uh, the touchdowns, uh, double the touchdowns, average 1.46 t- passing touchdowns per game with Robbie Anderson versus 0.75 uh, without him. And those are pretty large samples. I mean, those are that's three quarters of a season with with him and without. him. Um, so I, I don't think it's insignificant. Um, the other thing that I did is I also went to the AYA app, but instead of looking at the quarterbacks here, Teddy B and Sam Darnold, I actually looked at Sam, uh, Sam Darnold's primary wide receivers uh, over the past couple of years. So we're talking about Robbie Anderson and Jameson Crowder. So both Robbie Anderson and Jameson Crowder were better with the other primary quarterback in terms of AYA per target uh, in their career. So for Teddy, uh, for Teddy B, 
Uh, Key and Robbie Anderson were 0.48 AYA uh, per attempt better than Robbie A with Darnold. And uh, Jameson Crowder with Kirk Cousins was 0.49 AYA per uh, attempt better. Uh, that battery was than than was Jamison Crowder with uh, Sam Darnold. The other thing, though, is it wasn't just the wide receiver and quarterback combination. There were other coordinators. So Kirk Cousins and Jamison Crowder were playing what that would have been uh, maybe Jay Gruden era in in Washington. Um, yep. And uh, you know Teddy and Robbie are playing with Matt Rule and Joe Brady. So we're talking uh, far different offensive scenario, scheme, everything. It, it's a gaseless situation. So, um, you know, Sam Darnold might not be as good as Teddy B or Kirk Cousins uh, based off of this data, but it's also the, possible that the coordinators are, are really the actual defining difference and that all of these guys are pretty equal to each other. Um, when I look at this, I, I think that the main thing is Carolina kind of paid this is like bridge starting quarterback, maybe long-term quarterback trade value. And they've already picked up Darnold's option for 2022 at 18 million a year. Uh, they paid a sixth, second, and fourth. I mean, that adds up to almost a first in total value. Um, they've told us they're not going to draft a quarterback uh, at eight overall in this draft. So we're going to find out. My takeaway here is DJ Moore is pretty good. Robbie Anderson's pretty good. Joe Brady has been pretty good. Matt Rule has been pretty good. I think Darnold's probably going to be better with all these guys than he's ever been. Just not really sure how high the ceiling is. Uh, I, I'm definitely not a, like a rain on the parade situation here, uh, as you've suggested that others might be. I, I tend to agree with you here, Dave. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, just to kind of summarize from my point of view here, it's not that I think Darnold is a great quarterback and it's not that I think him arriving at Carolina is going to propel him forward a tremendous amount. It's just that I think he is likely... Uh, in possession of enough skill that he keeps Anderson and more relevant. But let's move along to something more exciting. And that would be Pro Days. We have some results to get into. So let's get to Pro Days, Curtis. Yeah, let's talk about Pro Days. Before we talk about any specific players, I just want to share some of my thoughts um, and some of our, our research team's thoughts on Pro Days in general. So in a normal year, when we have the NFL combine and we have individual pro days, there's, there's an effect called uh, or an impact called survivorship bias in that um, people who players who compete in their pro day tend to be guys who perform better in their pro days because they maybe didn't achieve, you know, the higher range of their potential performance at the combine. So Brian Malone wrote a really, really cool article. Um, a lot of Brian Malone's articles are among my favorites that I've ever posted on the site. <laughs> he just has a really uh, unique way of presenting uh, presenting his his thoughts that I have just always really resonated with me. He's a good storyteller. Um, but Brian talks about a scenario where, imagine, Dave, if, if I gave you four cards and one had $10 in that card, one had 20, one had 30, one had 40, you could argue that you know the average outcome of selecting one of those cards would be $25. It's the average value of what's in all the cards. So yep. if you pulled a card that had 30 bucks or 40 bucks in it, right, you'd probably say, nah, I don't need to draw again. If, you, if I give you two turns, you draw 30 or 40 in the first turn, you're staying because you outperform the average. If you, if you pulled the 10 or $20 card, probably going to pull another card, see if you can do better the second time. And this is exactly like this type of game, this type of, you know, uh, 
like backroom carnival uh, competition. I mean, this really is kind of what's going on in the combine. If if I know as a player, I can run between a 4-4 and a 4-5, and, and I show up at the combine and run a 4-4-2, why am I going to re-perform that at my pro day? I'm probably going to perform. The odds would say, if I know I can run within that 10th second, I'm probably going to perform worse at my pro day, especially in an era when we're adjusting for video. We've transitioned largely to, to laser timing along with that video. And we pretty much immediately discount the hand time stuff. Like it's really cool to react in real time to the, to the hand time stopwatcher, you know, fastest thumbs in the West type situation. And, and we're watching that stuff on Twitter, but it gets corrected by the end of the day. Uh, and, and we find out what really happened, what the real times were. Now, if I go to the combine and I run a four five and I know I'm capable of a four, four, there's pretty much no reason for me not to try that again at my pro day. I'm more likely to improve because I know I performed at a lower range of my potential outcomes at the combine. So in a normal year, you know, players who typically perform at the combine and then perform at the pro day, there's some improvement. And that's why you hear a lot of people in the industry talking about, you know, an adjustment factor, you know, by position or just for all the athletes at large. And we've done a lot of research on this. This dates back to fantasy douche back in 2014 was talking about this, Brian Malone in 2017, you and Blair do a lot of athletic measurement studies. Matt Spencer uh, has done our most recent work on the site. And he, he did an 18 season study with 1,813 players, all positions who competed both at the combine and the pro day. When you look at this sample and you do, do not adjust it at all, and you leave all the offensive linemen, uh, every position in there, and you don't take out you know, reps where an injury occurred or somebody had even told us that they were injured, they were still going to run. The average difference is 0.08 seconds in the 40. That's pretty substantial. That is almost that tenth of a second. But if you start to account for trends uh, and increased uniformity in the way uh, that the 40 is done, um, it's on that firsthand movement. If you look at the, uh, the improvement in timing equipment and technology, laser time, video adjustment, normalization of that video adjustment, and then in recent years, there's been more of an increased scrutiny uh, on these times and more NFL teams are showing up to pro days. And that's been the case more so than ever in a year like this when there is no combine to begin with. So anyway, last five years, uh, we're seeing that there's less of a statistical significance uh, or difference between the running back, wide receiver and tight end groups in particular. So when you look at the last five years of the sample, the most recent and most relevant five years, that the difference is 0.021 in the 40. And if you just look at the running backs and wide receivers, you take tight ends out. Tight ends, there's a huge weight disparity between the lightest and heaviest tight ends, the blocking guys versus the receiving guys. Running backs and wide receivers, not so much. 0.017. So we have a trend where we have a diminishing difference between the combine and the pro days, especially at the most fantasy relevant positions. And in a normal year, only players who underperform at the combine are incentivized to run again at that pro day. But this year there was no combine. So everyone's pro day is their time. There's no, like, I understand if you want to look historically at what happened in 2020 and compare this class to last year's class, perhaps you would say, okay, no one got to run twice. So what we really have is somebody who might've run their poor rep in a combine year and would run again in their pro day does not get that chance this year. So you can argue this on both sides of the coin, Dave. But, you know, Matt's research was very robust and the way the trends are going, it's not that there's no difference. 
It's that how much does the difference really matter and how much does it matter in a year where we don't have a combine and a pro day? You know, so th- it's, it's a complex thing, man. It's a very complex thing. Um, and, and going back to 2014, the last note I'll, I'll, I'll talk about on this is, you know, we report historical drill percentiles. M- most analytics-based sites do. So what do I mean by that? Okay, Rondale Moore ran a 99th percentile 40 time. Okay, well, he didn't really run a 99th percentile college football 40 time. What he ran was among players at the position who got invited to the NFL Combine, he ran a 99th percentile 40 time. There are plenty of athletes in college who also run very fast and never ascended up their depth chart or played at small schools or played in Division Three, who were also very fast and never got invited to the Combine. So the sample's already tainted, and there's already some survivorship bias in there because it's not the sample of all athletes. It's the sample of athletes who actually got invited to the Combine for whatever reason. Um, yeah, th- those are those are m- mostly my thoughts. I mean, do you want to share uh, any of your thoughts on Pro Days, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I think that the thing that I had said earlier in the year that I'm still holding to is the fact that because all of the players aren't running it this year, I think it makes sense to use what go down as the prevailing consensus time, the official time from the pro days this year and use those to compare. If somebody wanted to make an adjustment when you dropped it into a historical data set, that might be another discussion to have. Based upon what Matt did, I think you really can make an argument either way. I know one of the things that people might point to would be the fact that if you're reading through this article, his sample size is getting smaller. I would argue that it's still a pretty large sample size. And the adjustments that he made, like removing Ronald Jones out of there, a guy that had the hamstring issue, wasn't made objectively. Or excuse me, it it wasn't made subjectively. It was made objectively because when he was doing his exploratory data analysis, he looked at some things with interquartile range, took a procedural approach to removing those outliers to prevent, uh, like it's a common practice. So you're preventing your two means that you're testing in your two-tailed T-test. Um, you're removing those that you're getting like strong procedural results. So just like, I won't go too far into the math here, but I thought that it all made sense. And, um, even when you're making these, these, um, you know, things are going to limit your sample. You're still left with enough players that I thought this was really strong. It's really telling. I could dig into that a little bit further, but I would say go in and read that article. Uh, if you have questions about this, and I think it will just really like illuminate, but yeah, I guess even beyond that, the more research that we're doing, I am using athletic measurables as way to disqualify players who we realize just don't have NFL athleticism. And maybe I'm giving a little bit of boost to guys that prove to be super athletic. But in my overall evaluation, I'm not just going to look at a player and say, oh, my God, this guy ran a 4-2-9-40. He's my wide receiver one. Yeah, age production and pedigree. I mean, those are those are the, you know, those are the strong uh, the strongest informants of of our rankings, you know, typically. And there's there's a place for the athletic measurables. And I think, you know, like you said, Matt did more than a representative job uh, with this, was proud of his work. You know, I know there's a lot of other analytics sites out there that have come to different conclusions. You know, they set up their studies different. There's, there's a lot of smart people in the fantasy industry that are doing this research. Um, and you might see other numbers and that's okay. Look at the way that that study was set up. Look at the way that our study was set up. And, you know, ultimately what it's going to come down to for... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A lot of these guys is what was their production? Uh, what is, you know, what was their age related uh, production or, you know, the, the breakout uh, piece of that prospect profile? What is their draft pedigree? What round do they go in? And ultimately, um, you know, that's what leaves these athletic measurables as just being a small part of the overall picture. So um, anyway, we'll we'll drop a link to Matt's research and maybe Brian's article as well uh, in the show notes uh, here on the pod. So you can go back and read that for yourself. Uh, and we can talk about that maybe another time more at length. But I think that serves as a nice backdrop for a couple of players we want to highlight today, Dave. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Yes, absolutely. So let's just start, Curtis, with Rondale Moore. Uh, Tosses up a very impressive 42940, puts him in the 99th percentile, had a 98th percentile vert, which is ridiculous, 92 percentile shuttle. The big question, though, Curtis, is going to be, can this guy, who's 5'7", 180 pounds, can he use this athleticism, what we saw from him in college, and make the transition? Similar to what I did with Smith and his low weight, I tried to go back and look at what other players of more small stature have done. The reality is his combo of draft capital and height is pretty much uncharted territory. So you only have players like Tavon Austin and Sonoris Moss to look at. So unfortunately, we don't have a lot of historical context, but we can say that this was a guy we thought was going to be super athletic and he sure showed it. Yeah, I was really disappointed to see 5'7". I knew he was small. I was prepared for 5'8". I was not prepared <laughs> for 5'7". Um, 180 is solid. I mean, his BMI is over 28. Um, and, and again, I'm actually going to go back to the same survivorship bias article uh, I was referencing from back in 2014 from Fantasy Douche. Because uh, I, I think there's, there's a really cool passage in here that relates to Rondell Moore. Um, a lightweight receiver. Um, you could even insert a short receiver who is good enough to not only get drafted, but to stick on a roster and make a significant impact in the NFL really has a lot of something else that compensates for his weight. So like when Steve Smith or Antonio Brown happens, it doesn't mean that like the height or weight doesn't matter. So when we look in history, like you're saying like, Hey, we only see Tavon Austin and Sonoris Moss. Okay. Well, yeah, those guys were outliers in their own right. Cause they were so awesome in college, despite, you know, their sizes. Yep. 
Um, but when you have these guys, like outliers are outliers because they're outliers. And we talked about that a little bit in, in one of last week's shows. So Rondale Moore strikes me as the type of person who might be exceptionally rare in some other way besides his height. I mean, he was dominating 21 and 22 year olds at age 18 at Purdue when that team didn't really have a lot else going for it. He was dominating Ohio State. Um, that is exceptionally rare. Rondell Moore, uh, I think, is probably a player we can say is exceptionally rare. However, you know, Dave, you say uh, the uncharted except for Tavon Austin and Sonoris Moss. Okay, I want to avoid making a mistake with a high draft pick. So I came into the process where if Rondell Moore wasn't a height outlier, he could have been my wide receiver two in this class uh, behind Jamar Chase. At 5'7", it's kind of in a really strong wide receiver class. It's kind of unnecessarily risky to just keep him there at wide receiver two because that's you know where he, where he was early in the process. I mean, this this does lead to an adjustment for me because why why should I bet against all history and and bet that he is Steve Smith or Antonio Brown? To me, I move him to the back of the tier that he was in. You know, so he he goes be, behind Rashad Bateman for me now. Um, he goes behind even Devonte Smith. I can find more people who have succeeded that look a little bit more like Devonte Smith than I can that look more like Rondell Moore. Um, so he moves behind those guys for me. Are you adjusting him in your rankings, Dave, because of the height, despite his incredible athleticism? It, it's really, really tricky. And I think that the point that you made about just in this particular class, I kind of have to. Because we also see a number of other guys that have tremendous athleticism. For example, Terrace Marshall, you know, really good athleticism with how he tested. You're not going to knock Rashad Bateman. I know he came in undersized for what people wanted, but it's not like you're going to knock him for the athleticism there. So in a class where I have to look for ways to separate guys, this does become something that I worry about. And I would have been inclined to put him ahead of Smith, but I think... At this point, I'm going to slide him back. I'd like to make more of a case by saying, you know, we've seen smaller running backs that made things work. Maybe he could be like those guys after the catch. But I think that there's more that goes into that analysis. So unfortunately, Rondale Moore, this is something that does make you reconsider just how excited you could be. Now, I mentioned Terrace Marshall Jr., the counterpart to Jamar Chase coming out this year at LSU, 88th percentile, 40-yard dash, around a 439. 84th percentile on the bench, a 71st percentile broad jump, 85th percentile vert. His One of his really intriguing comps is A.J. Green. Also matches with Torrey Smith, Martavis Bryant, D.J. Chark, Devontae Parker. You saw these numbers come up. How, how excited are you when you saw those measurables hit? Yeah, I'm pretty excited. It takes him from kind of a tier three, a borderline tier two, tier three receiver for me in this class which when in a normal year would have been borderline tier one, tier two for me. I mean, that's how good this class is. And it, it puts him solidly in tier two for me. And you mentioned AJ Green. That is a pretty exciting comp, but he's like three years younger than AJ Green was coming into the, to the <laughs> NFL. And that makes it pretty exciting too. Um, and, and even for those of you who might be just doing, you know, end of season, you know, raw counting stats type, you know, box score scouting, which, you know, in a vacuum isn't recommended, but it also can help, you know, paint some perspective. I mean, he opted out basically the minute he had proven um, what he needed to prove this year. Um, I think he's he's probably a highly emotionally intelligent guy uh, and getting good input, you know, from, um, you know, the people that are looking out for his future. Pretty excited about Terrace Marshall. 
Um, there aren't a lot of big, big receivers in the class, and that 6'3 is going to be intriguing uh, to some folks. And, you know, with things like uh, freak score uh, informing uh, future touchdown scoring potential, Terrace Marshall is one of those guys in this class for me. Yep, six three two zero five. You know that size that I will I will take over other players in this class. We're going to very quickly touch upon two other players at running back. Uh, talk to me about Chuba Hubbard. There was a little bit of controversy around the forty time at first. We didn't know what it was going to be. It looks like it's settling in around a four four eight, still seventy ninth percentile speed. But this was a guy that we thought had Olympic level speed. People were disappointed by this. Uh, put it in context for me. Well, you know, I, I railed at the beginning of the pod. This would be a situation where Chuba Hubbard would go out and perform the 40 again at his pro day. <laughs> if, if this time had been from the combine, he would go yep. do it again. Um, Chuba Hubbard is faster than 448. I think even just looking on film, he runs away from people really consistently. So it doesn't really bother me. And 448 is still a really good time uh, for a running back. Um, 210, you know, I, I wish he was closer to 220 with that time than 210. Um, it doesn't this doesn't this doesn't change Chuba Hubbard as a prospect for me. He's still behind kind of what has become the the big three at running back, uh, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there's there's noise in his profile even from a production standpoint after the breakout year, then kind of really falling back to earth. So he looks kind of like a slightly above average athlete across the board, uh, other than he's just very fast, straight line speed. Um that's kind of what his profile tells me. Uh, does does this performance move him at all for you, Dave? No, not really, because I don't think that I saw any other performances from players that would shoot them up enough in my list. And if I'm looking for guys that look like there's possibility of them really being a solid NFL running back, I don't see many that despite this can match what Chuba would be able to do. You know, a player that I do kind of like, Curtis, that hasn't gotten too much talk and didn't have a tremendous combine is Trey Sermon comes in with a speed score around 99 because he's one of the bigger guys, 215, ran the 40 and 457, 51st percentile 40, but did score very well in the cone, 92nd percentile, 87th percentile broad, 78th percentile vert. Now, those are measurements that probably don't, uh, you know, really matter as much for running backs. We haven't really talked about him too much, so I just wanted to kind of get some quick thoughts on Trey Sermon there. I know as an Ohio State fan, you might have some insight for me. Yeah, man. Uh, Go, go OSU. Uh, Really like, really like Trey Sermon. And once he took over the role, you know, it took, you know, kind of into the latter stages of the season. He, you know, he proved that he was more effective and a better fit for the offense and more well-rounded than Master Teague, who was highly regarded in Debbie circles uh, up until his unfortunate Achilles injury uh, in the previous season. But Trey Sermon, I mean, he put that Buckeyes team on his back uh, through the Big Ten Championship in the early phases of college football playoffs. I mean, him him exiting the national championship game was very material uh, for, for Ohio State, for sure. Um, he's, a, he's the ultimate, like, adjust and consider the context type prospect. He's a transfer prospect uh, who transferred in a COVID year, um, you know, to, to, to a very different type of quarterback, uh, than he would have been with in, uh, in Oklahoma with more of a, a pure pocket passer there and Spencer Rattler. So, um, I, I really like Trey Sermon and this class doesn't really have a clear RB four. He might end up being that for me, uh, at before the NFL draft, uh, I may, I may move him up there. Um, and then ultimately my RB four is probably whoever gets the highest draft capital out of the bunch that includes Trey Sermon, uh, Chuba <laughs> Hubbard and, and others. 
Um, but I really like it. He's somebody that this is like an anti Rotoviz statement, but he just kind of popped like whenever I watched him. Like he looked like a capable, you know, pro style, well rounded uh, NFL running back. I mean, what are your thoughts on Sermon, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I thought uh, from watching him play at Ohio State, he looked to me like a guy. That was very impressive, could pop into the NFL. Um, you know, it's hard to break down the numbers on him um, because of the transfer, things like that, the fact that he was playing behind Master Teague. But I do think that when you look at games where he was leading the pack, I mean, they're pretty impressive. In this class, too, I also like the size that he possesses. The speed is close enough, um, you know, on the speed score. So as far as slating in behind the top three guys in this class and maybe Hubbard, you know, I, I could make a case for him getting to five or six in this class. So I, I am fairly excited about him more so than some of the other backs, because I can see that uh, potential to land in the right spot and really be like a player that you could use on multiple downs, multiple situations. Well, you and I were basically the two fighting over him and all of the volume one, uh, root of his <laughs> fantasy football rookie guide, uh, mock draft. So I have a feeling that we're going to be fighting over him again, but maybe a half round earlier, uh, a little foreshadowing there. Yes, for sure. Well, we have to wrap this one up, but yeah, we might be fighting over him in a league that we might be talking about pretty soon. Takes us to the end of this episode, though. I want to remind you, if you want to win a Rotoviz t-shirt, start sending in your questions or comments. We are collecting them. 978-615-9214. Get a shirt. Curtis, why don't you give us one closing thought to send us out of here with... Oh, man, I was definitely not ready for that. Um, I The cl- the closing thought would be um, there's a lot of good research out there, uh, but I stand by the research done here at rotoviz.com. Thanks for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Email us at rotovizffshow at gmail.com. Visit rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener-only discounts. And until next time, thanks for stopping by. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.